Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in, welcome back. Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast. Here on InsideCarolina.com, we are brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. All right, everybody, glad you're here. I'm Joey Powell for Inside Carolina. With me, as always, the two guys that make this show the powerhouse of fun and information and discussion that it is here on the Coast to Coast, Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran. Sherelle, how are you, dude? I'm good. Um, Better than UNC basketball is right now, I guess. (laughs) Man, UNC's last week was just smelled like absolute raw monkey stomach. Um, Sean, how are you doing, dude? I'm doing well. Good to be back with you guys and enjoyed uh, the Coast to Coast with, with Eric Bossy talking recruiting. Well, we, we missed you. Um, we let everybody know that you were on assignment. We're, we're glad you're back this week. It feels like feels like the band's back together. And holy damn, I wish we had something better to talk about. Um, but this past week has, um, I don't know, this, this past week might actually show that this UNC basketball season is deader than Batman's mama. And I have... I have nothing else to say uh, other than, you know, what's next. I will try to get us rolling with some some stats, but man, it's uh, we've always talked about how much it's easier to talk about when North Carolina does good things, and just wasn't a lot of good to talk about from this past week. Boys, with that, I'll start us off. Um, North Carolina now sits at seven and five in the ACC. They are two games back as of Saturday, prior to the Duke loss. Um, if you care about bracketologists, they were still in most people's brackets on that eight nine line. Um, they are forty four in the net, which is the NCAA's ranking, but they are one and seven in quad one games. Now, specifically going back to this past week, on the week they shot thirty four percent from the field combined for those two games. They shot twenty two percent from the three point line combined in those two games. They had an average of eight assists per game in those two games. And the bench played an average of 26.5 minutes per game, resulting in two losses, a one-point loss to Pittsburgh, in which the Tar Heels led uh, with the ball under a minute by one point at home, found a way to lose, and then also uh, against Duke where they were tied at 55 all and I think scored, you know, did not hit a field goal in the last three minutes and 57 seconds. Uh, That includes, you know, set plays out of timeout. So, Guys, um, eight games left. Uh, they have four games at home. They have four games away. They might be favored in three of them. Um, you know, throw a fourth in there. That might be a pick them depending on where the, the betting public goes or if, if another team has some sort of, of injury to deal with. Uh, five of those games the Tar Heels have left 
are against teams that are above them currently in the ACC standings. All that said, uh, they are worse right now record-wise than they were last year at this very same point, which I think if you told us that in October and if you told any North Carolina fan that, their eyes would absolutely roll back in their heads uh, as far as they could go. Their best win may be against NC State. Uh, I'm going to throw to you guys. Cheryl, I'll start with you. New expectations for this team. What do you feel like their ceiling is for the rest of the way? Um, that is a wonderful question, Joey. I want to answer it uh, two ways. and I'm going to be a little long-winded here. Fine. So I, I, look, I, I took a 20-minute soliloquy to open, so <laughs> have at it, sir. I want to go back first off to um, the folks who say that we were kind of off in thinking that this team would be better um, than they were last year. So the the argument basically is, well, they got hot in March. And besides that, this team is basically who they've been for three seasons. That's all true. I think what those of us who expected the team to be better this year, um, what we were looking for and what we usually get is improvement individually and improvement collectively. I don't think it's far-fetched to say that a team that's coming back that has all year to repair should be better. You know, individually, you know, guys get bigger, faster, stronger. They work on their shooting. They work on their lateral movement. They work on their athleticism. They work on everything. They work on their free throw shooting. And generally, they get better. If you look at kind of the history of Carolina basketball, core groups almost always get better. You know, the Marcus uh, Page, Bryce Johnson core group, they went from a loss in the first, excuse me, a loss in the second round to um, a win in the second round before, excuse me, two losses in the second round. Then they went to the Speed 16, lost to Wisconsin when they blew a lead. And then they went to the national championship game. You know, look at individually, uh, Justin Jackson as a player, as a freshman, not great, sophomore, okay, junior, all ACC. Um, there's just so many examples of that of where players and teams have gotten better individually and collectively at UNC. So I think that's what a lot of us who thought the team would be better were counting on, and I don't think that's far-fetched. So I wanted to defend that viewpoint for a second. Um, going to kind of revise expectations. I, I don't want to sound diplomatic here, but I don't know. I mean, <laughs> what they put on paper this year has not been great. They are um, a team that loses a lot of leads, that can't close close games, and that can't beat outside of NT State and really outside of NC State can't beat a good team. Um, so that's what they've shown. That's what they are this year. I think the notion that um, they're going to do exactly what they did last year, like needs to stop. We need to stop comparing everything to last year. It's dead and gone. Kill it. It's over. Uh, so I think now is can they go 500, you know, the rest of the way, you know, can they go five and three? And especially with some of those five, you know, of those five wins or four wins, you know, they're going to have to win two of, I think, Miami, Virginia and Duke. Um, all three of those games at home, you kind of have to win those. And you really can't afford to lose the Syracuse or Florida State either for net purposes. Um, Sean, I'm not trying to take all the material, but if you look <laughs> at if you look at, for example, where Wake Forest was last year in the net and where UNC is now, pretty comparable. And Wake Forest got left out of the tournament. So they the good thing, I guess, is that if there is a good thing, they have opportunities to do it. We just, they've given us no reason to believe that they can do it this season. So that's kind of where I'm at is um, I don't expect it, but, you know, it's possible. And I feel like every time <laughs> we as a collective doubt them or give up on them is when they turn it around. 
Um, but hope isn't a strategy. And I feel like hope is pretty much all that's left right now. Yeah, without going full Andy Dufresne on you, like that's that's really where I think a lot of Tar Heel fans and, and I see subscribers are sitting right now. It's just sitting here with, you know, hoping in one hand and you know what in the other and seeing which hand fills up first. Uh, and I think the Tar Heels have put a lot of, you know, bad losses on paper. You could say that the teams they're losing to are good teams, and that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you there. But the way in which, to your point, Sherelle, a veteran team is still finding ways to not close and poorly execute. Um, and just, you know, some of it is coaching too. I mean, I, I'm not, I think the fire Hubert mentality is, is irrational and a little knee jerk considering, but I do think, you know, you have to lay some of this at the feet of the coaches about why these guys aren't executing. Sean, I ask you the same question. I know Sherelle, you know, um, did some work on that, that Turkey leg there, but I want to ask you, what do you think the, the ceiling is for this team as we sit here, you know, ending the first week of February? Um, I'm hoping the NCAA tournament, but I, I think that is is a huge question mark uh, right now, especially given given the last week, and could have been even even worse if if uh, the Syracuse game, uh, you know, the last last few seconds hadn't hadn't flipped. That could have been even more of a disaster. Uh, but I think one one thing when looking at the schedule yesterday after the game, you said, "Oh shoot, you know, where are, where are these wins going to come from?" Yes, there's some some teams that they should beat. But both of those are are on the road, uh, Florida State towards the end and and Notre Dame. Then you have once again the ACC. There's nobody that's a really good team, but you do have pretty you have some quality teams. And we've we've learned that whether it's Boston College or or Duke, you know any, anybody can beat uh, UNC on on any given night. So really, it has to go to just looking one by one. And starting with this week, if they go zero and two. The season will be done, uh, and they have two tough games with with Wake Forest and and Clemson at home. I think offensively is is where they really need to to focus on. Um, right now, over the last ten games, I think they're number ninety three in offensive efficiency in the country, which is just you know that that's that's not something you're you're used to from a UNC team. Uh, for both the Pittsburgh and the Duke games, the number nineteen jumped out to me. Uh, because UNC got to 19 right around that 10 minute mark, maybe a little bit, a little bit after. And I felt at both those points in time, they had a lead. They looked like the better team. You know, they had an opportunity to extend it, but similar to really what we've seen all season is they're, they're probably the, the, the better team, uh, you know, in going matchup versus matchup, but and teams are almost a little tentative when playing against UNC early on, but UNC doesn't fully take advantage of that. And soon enough, a five-point, seven-point lead is gone in a blink of an eye. I think going back to the Notre Dame game was the first time they were actually able to push the lead going into halftime. They had some cushion for when that run did come. You know, now it's still seven, eight points. They still have that cushion versus all of a sudden it's tied. So I think they, it's really the first half. I think that they need to focus on and, they got to 19, only scored, uh, what, 45 points afterwards against Pittsburgh, um, e- even less against against Duke. So I think offensively, that's a, a focus point, and it's trying just trying to get easier shots, which goes a little bit to the offensive style, and it's something we can touch on. But I think offense is it's where it's going to be, and right now we, we're not seeing really any subs at all in the second half, and it's almost like each possession is an overtime possession, but the, the starters aren't getting the job done and that's been shown by the offensive efficiency um, by everybody. 
I'm I'm not trying to set you up for an I don't know answer, but we've all talked about how much of an asset it would be for this team coming back this year to have so many players who had played not only together, but had played big minutes and to the point where they saw the mountaintop last year. How does a team get a week off and come back and, and execute so poorly in, in the first two games back, Sean? Uh, it's, a good, it's a good question because I thought they, they both games they executed well at the beginning, but both I think both teams um, regarding Pittsburgh and Duke, they, they almost took it. They, they wanted, they were playing together. They were playing, they're looking to build, you know, to be, to make an upset. And that's, that's almost how UNC was playing in the tournament last year together, locked in on every possession. Uh, and that's what the teams have been, even though UNC is not even close to being the number one ranked team in the country, they still have that aura about them where teams are, you know, play focused, play together. And I'm sure their coaches are telling them, Hey, you guys stick together. UNC is going to fold at the end. Um, so in terms of how did they look like that after a week off, it, it's a it's a good question, uh, and I think I was rewatching the Pitt Pittsburgh game uh, today, and there's a lot of possessions where they had great opportunities to extend the lead, just to lock in, and it's just very small things, whether that's offensively or defensively. Uh, I think from a glass half full, usually I'm the glass uh, half empty type of person. There's only a few games where you, where you can say they just weren't in that game. Um, you know, Indiana. Indiana, for sure. Uh, I'm going to say at Virginia Tech, even though they cut it, uh, you know, could have cut it to three or two at the end, but they, they weren't really in that one. Uh, and then I'll say UVA, even though they were in it, but without Armando in the second half, uh, it, it, was a, it was an uphill battle. But all the other games have been winnable. I feel they should have won. They've had leads. And I think a lot of it is just taking bits and pieces. I think Caleb has been... You know, Kayla's been playing better, and RJ, <laughs> RJ falls off a cliff. Um, Armando plays well, and then he he falls off. You know, Leaky has been not nearly the same player he was last year in ACC play. So I think there's still the potential, but there's clearly not that connective tissue that everybody is is working together. And and then I think there's a lot of stuff that they could at least try um, to do to potentially change change the game up. Pittsburgh, I think they trapped. Uh, one one possession resulted in a turnover. I don't think they did it. And then then didn't go back to it. You're right. Didn't go back to it. Didn't do it against Duke, who's a, a young and inexperienced team. Um, and I think there there is some talent on the bench. It, you never know what you're going to get from that bench, but I think there are things to do. One being defensively to try to speed the game up. Um, and now I'm I'm being the long winded one, but I think it was painful in the Duke game where you heard the announcers talking about transition points for Duke yeah. and offensive rebounding for Duke. And that was, that's always been UNC's identity under Roy Williams. And, uh, you know, I think going for, for fast breaks, you have RJ, what, maybe 5% of the, of the year he passes the ball on a fast break. Um, Caleb, similar. And, and I think Seth Trimble could, could play a role in that. I know he, in terms of getting the fast break going, pushing the ball up the court. I know, uh, I think it was minus eight against Pittsburgh. So uh, from a metric standpoint, hasn't been that great. Teams are playing off of him, has lost his confidence. But I think you need to give players roles and give players things to focus on um, or else it's just going to be the same same thing over and over again. Sherelle, uh, Sean took me right where I want to take you next. Hubert Davis and staff talked so much last year about connectivity, connective tissue, uh, the team being together. 
what has caused this team to be so disconnected and disjointed? Because what it's doing is it's showing in, in not only just poor execution, but these guys don't look like they're having fun anymore. And I know losing causes a lot of that, but what is it that, that this team is lacking in connectivity that I don't think you have to have the same roster that you had last year. I realize that, uh, you know, from a scoring standpoint, from a shooting standpoint, Brady Manic makes all the difference. But you would still wonder, how is this group not as connected as the group last year was when it's predominantly the same guys? Yeah, I'm sure that's the question they're trying to answer in the Smith Center and, and trying to get at the heart of. Um, I, I could guess a few things. Um you know, uh, roles change because, you know, you, you shift one person out. So roles de- do change a little bit. And um, I think they were trying some things offensively maybe in the beginning of the year that um, didn't work out. And so they switch, I don't want to say switch styles, but, you know, they adapted and tweaked like they you, you would always expect. Um, so I think maybe that's part of it. Um, but as a whole, you know, I, I do agree with people in this. If you look at the sample size where the these four main players have been together, um, there hasn't been a ton of joy. And outside of, you know, a moment here or there, you know, the COVID year, everyone hated that year, not because there were, you know, necessarily chemistry issues within the team. I mean, there were some, but that's with any basketball team, but just that environment. And then you go on to the next year um, with a new coach and trying to figure that out. And, you know, you're integrating – four or five new players and it's kind of the same deal. And this year, you know, it's, you know, preseason number one and um, we, you know, one rebound away and you, you're doing all this talking about what you want to do. Um, and I think maybe all of that, the pressure to, to get back where they were, um, the idea that maybe it was going to be easy. I, I know it's, um, I know they, they always answer the question, right? Oh no, you know, it's, we know it's going to be hard and, you know, we're trying to get back to the mountaintop. I think all of that is contributing. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think frankly, at times they don't play through their best player. And I think that can cause issues too. And then you can see it at times where they're not necessarily doing exactly what they're coached to do. Um, so I think that's part of it. And um, then at the same time, I think the coaches have to be sure to put each individual player in a position that they can best succeed. And I don't know that that's happened either. So I, it's hard to pinpoint one particular thing about, about why this team isn't connected. Uh, maybe above all else, it's just that they're not winning. Um, Cause winning it's cliche again, but winning does cover all that stuff. Cause mm-hmm. I, I would argue that a lot of this stuff was there last year and that um, some of the wins and, and the run covered it up, um, mm-hmm. you know, with this core group. So um, that's a very long-winded way of saying I don't know, uh, but I, I think that's kind of where things stand with them. I don't mind that you guys are long-winded tonight. I mean, we've got a lot that we're trying to make sense of for our listeners and our viewers. So, hey, dig into the the the, the preacher bag as much as you need to. Um, all right, so we've talked about what their potential ceiling might be. I don't want to go and figure out what our worst might be because I think everybody listening to this show probably has in their minds what worst-case scenarios might look like. Um, we touched on a second ago kind of what they need to do down the stretch. Sherelle, do you want to make a prediction for what these last eight games are going to look like? You know, I, I expect it. And this is this is where you know, people say we're, I'll, I'll be frank, people say that we're softer, I, I would say. Um, 
on the basketball side with the coaches than maybe the football side. And we don't take them to task and all this stuff. And I think part of it is, is because anyone who who says they know exactly what Hubert Davis wants to do um, necessarily offensively or, or defensively, I, I think that's not a hundred percent accurate because how can you know when he's only been a head coach for a year and a half? How can you know when, uh, even though he helped recruit some of these players, you know, maybe he's not running the system fully that he wants to because he's trying to enhance the skills of the guys who are currently on the roster. We don't have the answers to those questions. So um, that that always <laughs> bothers me a little bit. Um, but I did expect them coming out of a, you know, eight day break almost. Um, he's done a pretty good job, I think, of having a wrinkle or a tweak, whether it's offensively or defensively during those breaks. And you just didn't see it. They came out very listless. Um, against Pittsburgh and then they came out okay against Duke and got up seven and then it's just kind of the same story where they can't sustain leads they can't hold anything Um, so moving forward you'd have to hope that they continue to make sure that Armando Baycott is the feature player offensively I think he even said it uh, you know in December maybe like UNC is better when he gets more shots and that sounds you know braggadocious and full of bravado but it's true it's unequivocally true it's been proven um this year that when he gets the ball and he gets more shots that north carolina has a better chance of winning that's that's simple because he's an all-american um and it makes everything easier from everyone else so i i would expect we'll see a more concerted effort to get him the ball not just you know in the post or you know so he can dribble four times and, and have a hook but just having him touch it having him face um running the offense through him so he can pass I think you'll see a lot more of that um, because the more attention that's on him, eventually some of these wide open shots have to go in, right? I mean, they have to, right? Or, I mean, I guess they, they don't have to, and maybe that's your worst case scenario, but it's not as if North Carolina is taking only, you know, comma, exclusively bad shots. There yeah. are so many other shots they're just not hitting that are wide open. Um, so offensively, that's my hope is that they – go back to Armando, they they rededicate to finding ways to get him the ball. And then defensively, I, I mean, I don't have a huge issue. Don't you bring playing. that stat out here. Don't I'm, you bring gonna, that stat out. I'm going to bring it. You know, um, <laughs> I know they got beaten transition a few times against Duke, which I have a, if you want to call it SVP's big thing or whatever, I have a thought about offensive rebounding and transition at the end. Um, but they're second in conference. Second in conference, we've there. There's been twelve ACC games now. They are second in defensive efficiency in conference games, ahead of vaunted defensive juggernaut Virginia, and only behind Clemson. Um, so if you look at the numbers, they're telling you that the defense is okay, even though it might not pass the eye test. Then the offense now is eighth, and they are fourteenth in conference in effective field goal percentage. So what we thought we knew that UNC could, you know, fall out of bed and score eighty, and that they were going to struggle. Um, guarding people seems to be flipped in that they can't fall out of bed and score 80, but they can guard people. So you would hope that the two will kind of meet closer to the middle and they will be a little more balanced. Two things I want to call out as I transition this to Sean. There are lies, damn lies, and statistics. And I'm throwing out that statistic as whatever. <laughs> but, you know, y- your argument is a sound one, so I want to undermine that completely. I think one of the things that has been maddening is is your point, Sherelle, about it seems like the players aren't understanding that if they run the ball through Armando, it makes better shots for everybody. 
right? It really does. There was a, an episode in the in the pit game, and I mentioned it on Inside Carolina Live on Saturday with Tommy Ashley, which you should all listen to on uh, WCHL. Uh, there was a period during the pit game where Armando posted he was too high. He kicked it out to R.J. Davis. RJ, he immediately reposted, and R.J. gave it right back to him. And he scored on a layup despite uh, despite a, a double team. And so these guys know how to run the ball through him. They may not be the best interior uh, passers or the entry pass guys that UNC's ever had, but I think they can be a better offense. And to your point, Cheryl, I think most folks would like to see them go through your preseason you know, college player of the year to run that offense. The other thing he said in the preseason, or maybe it was after the Charleston game, that he was a trash man, that he's not as talented. A garbage man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, garbage man. Don't forget that. Because um, I think there are times when maybe he's he's not without fault either. There are times when maybe he doesn't post as hard. Maybe he doesn't set that screen as hard. So it's a collective effort. It's not just one person. It's not. I know people love to bag on Caleb and some of his shot selection, but it's not just Caleb. It's not just RJ. It's not just Armando. It is a collective deal that, you know, why this team is struggling. Um, so, uh, you know, I, it, again, just they've they've all got to do better it, it, to me <laughs> not to to you know, sim- you know simplify it but like just be better man make open shots you know that's what you're here for and I, that sounds harsh because they're they're in college but i mean that's the expectation if you get a wide open shot you should be able to make it you are a division one college player a starter at north carolina make hey, an open shot you like but, to use well, you like to use royisms i'm going to give you one we got plenty <laughs> of shooters on this team but what i need is makers that's that was old royism and and he's right. Sean, go ahead. Well, I was going to, I mean, it, obviously there have been some, some open shots missed by, missed by everybody, but at the same time, there's also a lack of quality shots that this offense is, is getting. And more often than not, it is a Caleb step back or a RJ step back, tough shot in transition. Um, you know, I think things that, especially lately where, it's almost like you're playing three on five uh, in kind of a man man to zone defense. With last year, it was a free safety on on Leaky. Uh, you know, both Pitt and Duke utilize that, and and now even with Nance, given his uh, the lack of his quick release, teams can can play off of that. And I feel like just from a shot quality perspective, everybody's taking tough shots. And yeah, Caleb and and RJ can hit them, uh, but this is also why they're going five of fifteen or, or mm-hmm. five of sixteen. They're making a few, but it, it, the ones they're getting are are challenging. Uh, I think last week also for Armando was was difficult. He's, you know, there's a reason he's still in school. Uh, he's he's not the NBA super athletic guy, and both Pitt at Duke had had taller, longer players that could bother him. Uh, so I think this week there's an opportunity for him to get back to doing what. What he can. Uh, it's also an opportunity for, I think, working inside, inside out. But also, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a while since I've seen him running the court as hard as he did, like Notre Dame, beating people down and and getting easy baskets as well. And I think that's something that UNC needs to keep focusing on uh, because their offense just isn't. It's not a top 25 offense, and they need to get easy bas- baskets any any way they can. But I do think their shot quality whether that's through the offensive sets or not not being an not being the aggressor results in this this low shooting percentage a good amount of time to go now along see, with with missing some open shots. Now see if that's where people want to critique coaching, I think that's 100% fair because 
you're kind of not sure what the goal is. It's like there's a lot of dribble handoffs and um, a lot of pick and roll, but what is what is that hoping to accomplish? Is it what are you to, doing that to get to? Yeah, are you getting are you doing that to get the guards open shots? Are you doing it so you can get Armando, you know, on the move, you know, off a of pick? Like what's what's kind of the end goal? And it, it whatever the end goal is, I don't think we're seeing. I think we're seeing the first part and it never materializes. I think, um, to your point about shot quality. I I I think I'll leave leave the um the X's and O's to to Trevor and, and what he does on inside Carolina, but it's definitely an over dribbling by the guards. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, I, I think Caleb uh, the last two games have been I almost almost prefer the ball in his hands because I think he's been a little more aggressive getting to the rim. He's also found some some guys with good looks uh that they haven't um you know haven't made. I'd like to see him do that a little bit more, but I think um you know one one of the things I liked in the Pittsburgh game it was Tyler Nickel when he was in, caught the ball in the left corner, and in a blink of the eye, you know, flew a real tough pass to Armando. And that that it was a quick decision making. It was really what Brady did last year, where the ball's not sticking. He's it's either going up or it's moving. And I, I know Nickel has his defensive deficiencies, but right now it's all, the offense that needs all the help. And I think I'd like to see him get a little more playing time because he does make quick decisions. He does make the right reads and the ball, the ball moves. And once again, if you're getting, even if it's two to three better possessions right now, that's, that's what they're losing by is, is one, one, two, three possessions where they're mm-hmm. turning the ball over, getting a poor shot or, or not being focused. So, um, you know, I think it's a mixture of over dribbling, which could be the, the play play calls and the players they have, but, but also just not quick decision-making um, in certain situations. Last thing um, before we take a quick break here, this historically, or this has a chance to be historically the worst shooting North Carolina team in the modern era. I want to let that hang in the air for a bit because I think it would shock a lot of people when you think about it. But from a percentage standpoint, and Cheryl, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're they're within earshot of being the worst. You know, they're at least trending towards being the worst uh, shooting team in the modern era, and that's hard for a lot of people, myself included, to get my head around considering the amount of scores that are on this roster and the ability that some of these guys have to shoot. Is it just that they're taking, like Sean said, are they taking contested shots? Or is it that, for whatever reason, they've lost the ability to shoot, Sherelle? Yeah, I think that's three-point percentage, to be clear. Um, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I yeah. should have clarified that. Yeah, yeah. not not, for, not from the field, but from the perimeter. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wish I still had access to Synergy so I could look up some of those, you know, um, catch and shoot numbers, you know, open versus semi-contested, lightly contested, but it just feels like they're just missing open shots. A lot of them. I mean, I can think of four or five um, on Saturday night alone that were wide open. I can think of four or five against Pittsburgh that were wide open and it's missed. And that's why I, I, at some point it just comes down to, and it's, it sounds critical, but it just comes down. You just gotta, you just gotta be better. You just gotta make your shots. Um, you know, that's that's what you signed up for when you go to a place like North Carolina. There's obviously a huge spotlight. Um, and so when you get an open shot, you you have to take it and, you you know, you have to make it. And um, if you read some of the stats that Adrian Atkinson does, um, especially what you would consider clutch three-point attempts and clutch shooting, um, Leakey is by far the, the best team in, in clutch shooting. Um, and that's just not what you expect slash hope for um, with this particular team because – I, and I, again, I'm rambling, but I, I think another thing, and we talked about it, Tommy, uh, Joey, on Saturday, um, is that 
coming into the season, you know, every team has like their thing, like their superpower. Mm -hmm. And for a team like Alabama, it's just that they have so much athleticism mm -hmm. and they love to get the ball up and down the court. You know, mm -hmm. for uh, Duke, it was, you know, Filipowski and they've got Roach coming back. And for Gonzaga, it, you know, it's Timmy and his ability and them getting up and down the court. For UNC, it was their guys coming back, but it was also like, oh my goodness, these guys are so experienced. That's their superpower is that um, they've seen everything, they've done everything, they've been there, they've done that, and they just do not play like it. And I think that's what frustrates frustrates the fans because the fans either want a super experienced, talented team that wins or a team full of one and dones that win. That, that in-between gray area, they're not really feeling. Mm -hmm. and, and so they feel a bit robbed that, it's like, well, y'all told us this team is so experienced and experienced guards, especially win in college basketball and win in March. So why isn't UNC winning when they have experienced guards? And I think that's one of the things that is just hard to wrap your, your mind around is that like, why is that? And um, I'm not sure if I answer your question, but I, I wanted to make sure that got in there um, just because I think that is, that's some of, not all of the angst, but that's some of the angst of the fan base is that they're not seeing the results from, you know, kind of the 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 thing they were promised, which is how much experience and talent the team has. Most importantly for this show, I need the guards to get it together and do well in March because we've said a thousand times that, you know, guard-laden teams who have experienced guards that play well in March go far in March. So I don't want them to make us out to look like a bunch of asses. <laughs> um, I want to talk about something a little more positive here. Um, Sean, you had a, a big uh, big life event. Um, you, you care, care to share? I did. Uh, so pr prior to the Pittsburgh game, uh, had the birth of, uh, my wife and I, our, our first son, Thomas Paul Moran. Uh, what? You, are you serious? <laughs> Whoa, man. I didn't realize you were breaking that kind of news on the show. <laughs> um, unfortunately, Tommy Moran came home Wednesday from the hospital in, in good health. Uh, we got to watch the last few minutes of the Pittsburgh game. Uh, as well as the Duke game. So he hasn't been fully thrilled, even though he's got some great gear, uh, especially some good gear from from Johnny T-shirt. Uh, no. <laughs> and and that that's actually, I, I know Joey's the, the master at, at going into that, but uh, we did get a, a present from Johnny T-shirt and Lily had no idea who it was from. Uh, had, to, had to call them up and, and ask them who, who provided this gift. Of course, it was, it was my brother. Um, and they're able to give me that information, but got a pretty wait, sweet... Wait. You didn't get anything from Juwan Howard? Not yet. Not okay. Yet. All right. Go ahead. But pretty, pretty sweet newborn, little newborn uh, polo, some some UNC bibs. But um, yeah, it it was a life changing event, and uh, definitely made watching the the UNC games a little different when I'm when I'm holding him, uh, watching Duke go on scoring runs. Uh, you know, you need to stay a little more calm than than you normally do hey look the bibs were very appropriate for last week because those two losses made a lot of Tar Heel fans collectively spit up and if you've got a unc bib for your kid from johnny t-shirt then you're at least taking care of the shirt that's on under it right johnny t-shirt we appreciate him i appreciate sean's brother hooking him up with some johnny t-shirt goodness right there on franklin street in chapel hill or at johnny t-shirt.com use the premium code uh, on the message boards to get your extra 10% off the top. We appreciate Johnny T-shirts so much that we work them into major life events because they're that vital to the Coast to Coast podcast. Take a quick break. Let the national guys come in here and run some ads. We'll be right back to put a bow on the show and talk a little bit of recruiting before we get out the door. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Coast to Coast Podcast rolls along. Appreciate you being a part of the show. Sorry it hasn't been just the most upbeat and positive and everybody's happy and singing that you usually want to see, but we got to work with the content we've got, guys. Sherelle, you actually had a chance today to, in person, bring some content to the show tonight. You want to tell everybody what you did this afternoon? Oh, yeah. First, I, I, Sean, I thought you were gone. I thought you were on assignment watching Simeon Wilcher. So mm. who knew you had a baby? Wow. He was. I don't know if you know this, but Sim's team has actually been playing in a labor and delivery unit uh, as part of a tour <laughs> of California. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, Big Shots had an event, the Court 14 classic in uh cornelius north carolina outside of charlotte um at huff high school which is the home of luke may where he played his high school basketball and uh, did bo go to myers park he drake went to myers i'm not sure where bo went i'm okay. not sure i think he yeah bo went to bo went to huff as well he did okay yeah yeah um so uh the Kind of the matchup for us to watch there was arizona compass prep which is where 2023 sunny's eight and high plays uh, went up against Combine Academy, which is kind of a, a local power here in North Carolina uh, from Lincolnton. Uh, uh, Combine has uh, several, you know, talented Division One players. Uh, Triton Flowers from, he's from a lot of places, I guess, but Triton Flowers from Combine uh, has a UNC offer. Whether or not it's active, uh, you know, I would consider it probably inactive, but uh, he didn't play. So it was basically the, the, the Zayden show is what we were there for. Uh, Hebert Davis and Sean May were in attendance, uh, so they came down to watch Zayden uh, play. And, you know, we'll have a full report. We talked to him um, after the game. But I, I was I was impressed um, more than anything with his fire and with his motor. Um, the stats aren't going to really reflect, you know, to me how well he played in the game. He got a couple of fouls early, and that really limited how much he played the rest of the game. Uh, and uh, Thomas Prep actually lost, which is surprising. That's one of the – Ranked mm-hmm. one of the ten best schools in the country, um, and Combine beat him by one, fifty-six, fifty-five. Silas Demery, who is a uh, Southern Cal commit from North Carolina, was kind of the star of the game. And again, they did it without Trenton Flowers, who they played with the entire season. So Demery had a a, a huge role in in the upset. It was a pretty big upset. You could tell it was it was a high energy, well played um, high school basketball game. Again, with with uh, with high. Um, the one thing I'll say, and we'll save the rest for the kind of the premium report. Impressed with his motor, as I said, but he has a really interesting knack that I didn't realize for blocking shots. Um, his timing on a couple of the blocks, I think he had three total, mm-hmm. um, but two of them were in transition. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they were brave jumps for blocks because 
that's one where you could find yourself on a poster. But he timed it, synced it up well, um, got all ball, nobody, um, and, and both of the blocks, I believe, resulted in transition opportunities for his team. So you see some rim protection there that maybe didn't expect. Um, and then again, like I said, his fire and his motor definitely showed uh, throughout the game. You know, it's funny you talk about timing of block shots because I think one of the best shot blockers that UNC's had that hasn't been a five in the last few years has been Danny Green. And it wasn't athleticism. I think Danny's was all timing. So it's it's unique to have a big guy that also has that sort of timing uh, ability. And it'll be interesting to see how much he's able to continue to develop that uh, as he grows into um, to his matriculation to UNC. All right, boys, this is the time. Trail, you wanted to get out of here with one stat. Uh, that'll be your two pennies for the night. Do you want to share? Yeah, um, I'll also add about uh, Zayden. Um, he, I, we asked him about his updated height and length because you know you you can you hear different things from different people. But he said he was uh, about six nine and a half, two twenty five, and I think the two twenty five is very important because depending upon what happens in the portal and who returns and who doesn't, you know he could be in line for major minutes in the UNC front court next season. Because we don't know really what a UNC front court under Hubert Davis without Armando Baycott looks like. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a chance that could happen next year. Um, so I, I was encouraged that he, you know, had built himself up to 225. Um, that'll help him with the rigors of kind of ACC basketball. To me, um, I, I feel like he's like a true, true four um, in college basketball. Um, obviously, he can play, I think, some some small ball five, but. For me, I, his instincts and kind of what he does, his mobility, to me, they all scream like really good college four. Mm. Um, so just wanted to add that. All right. And you think he can guard a four? Um, I think that is uh, an <laughs> area look, of growth. Look at the diplomatic facial expressions <laughs> are here, Sean. I think that's an area for growth and development. Um, but I think he'll be able to. Whether or not, I, you know, he couldn't guard college fours right now, I don't think. But if you project out, um, you know, especially – you know, 12 months from now, you know, maybe. And it, if you project out two years from now, then I say definitely. I mean, not many kids coming out of high school ranked around 50 are going to be able to guard a college four anyway. Um, but I do think it's important when you talk about that weight gain, Cheryl, that that does make all the difference in the world because if you come in to play uh, four or five or five four and you're pretty slight of build, I mean, even if you're down around 200 or God forbid under it, you are going to get thrown around and, and ragdolled quite a bit. Sean, you got two pennies before we get out of here and maybe two pennies that don't involve uh, changing the, the, the diaper bin there. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got one, got one waiting for me after this. So um, in terms of two pennies, one Pete Nance, I mean, I, I think we've kind of uh, glossed over, over him, a one for 10, a, a pretty, pretty poor performance um, against Duke. I don't think we're going to see any lineup changes. So it goes, all right, how can, how can you try to utilize, utilize him a little bit better? And right now people are, are slacking off of him from the three, uh, you know, he shot 45% from the three last year, but with that, with that stroke that he has and the release, it does make it, it challenging to hit consistently, uh, which he has done at times, but I think it is just trying to get him in quick, quick, almost quick positions where he's catching it from that mid post um, just to try to get him, get him going or, or some offense. Uh, Cause I, I think right now, if you continue to do the same thing, it, we're, we're, you might get a few wins here and there, but it, it'll probably be a, a four and four at best uh, going down the stretch. And then going back to an earlier point uh, with the, the 19 points, both Duke and uh, Pittsburgh early where they looked like the better team. 
you know, that, that goes to how the starters are playing early on. But I think once Hubert starts making subs, Trimble should be one of the first ones in, and he's picking up full court. They're ideally bringing a trap, but they they really need to go Ohio State second half um, at that you know at that point in time to really be the aggressor and try to make things happen, or else I think we're going to consistently see them going four or five six minutes with two points or you know uh, thir- 13-2 runs with the other team empty positions. On. Yeah, yeah. If, if they're not if they're not doing something to change it up and be the aggressor versus waiting to get down seven, nine points, and then they start trying to do it to get back. And at the same time, you have Tyler Nickel, who I think can, can be a shooter, make quick decisions, Jalen Washington to spell Armando. Um, because if you want him running the floor, you want him posting hard, you're not going to be able to maintain 40 minutes, you know, 37, 40 minutes. Um, are we going to see that? I don't know, but, but I think you need to see a, a few things change um, or else, or else things are, are just going to continue with, with getting, getting quality first half leads that, that are pretty much gone by the, by the time the first half ends. And, and now these teams not only think they can play, play with UNC, but that they can beat, beat UNC. Um, and we'll be interesting to see how the, how the guards do. Uh, they're both shot for, you know, shoot first guards, but if they can continue to, to move the ball and look to get better quality shots, it'd be nice to see them playing well together. Uh, and see what UNC can do, but um, you know, two two decent teams, not great teams by any means, but they need to go two and zero, one and one at worst. If it, if it's zero and two, the season's season's over unless they're winning the ACC tournament. Yeah, I, I love um, I love your mention of of using the bench there. I actually texted Sherelle last night. I was just saying, yeah, it'd be different if the if the team was winning, you know, and they were. Uh, 19 and two right now, or, or even, you know, even two games less than that. Um, you know, but it, it does beg the question, why is the staff not using the bench a little differently if, if what the current rotation is, isn't working. All right, Cheryl, yeah. I mean it this time. Last thing. So, um, I think a lot of what we're seeing amongst the fan base and a lot of discussion has centered around kind of the things that we've known Carolina basketball to be for so long. It's offensive rebounding. It's transition basketball. Um, it's kind of motion offense, not a lot of sets. You know, it's cutting, it's screening. It's all those good things that, you know, frankly, proved well for UNC um, during Roy Williams' tenure and then again with Coach Smith and, and with Coach Guthridge's short tenure. Um, but I think people have to stop judging this team and Hubert Davis and how um, he's shown that he wants to coach so far. And I say that because we don't know what he wants to do moving forward um, and comparing it to how Roy Williams did things. Because I can't tell you how many times over the last three days, it's like, well, you know, Carolina basketball isn't this and Carolina basketball isn't that. Yeah, because Roy Williams isn't the coach and he emphasizes different things. Um, so we we are still almost two years in. And I understand it's hard because Roy is one of the three or four greatest coaches of all time in college basketball we're still looking at everything through a Roy Williams lens. Now there is a lot of uh, connective tissue, as Sean said earlier, within the program about um, how to run things and, and um, different philosophies. But I think schematically it it's shown to be different. And right now it is not aesthetically pleasing and it doesn't look good. That doesn't mean that it won't forever or that it hasn't looked good. Um, but I, I would, I think it's just, to me, it gets a little frustrating because we're just going back to, 
how Roy Williams did things and how it looked and what to expect and kind of overlaying that onto what Hubert Davis has. When Hubert Davis has expectations, it seems, based on what he said and based on what he does, that are different uh, from Roy Williams. So I think we just all need to kind of start doing that and stop comparing. You can compare it to last year as far as the sets and what they do and how they play. Um, but I think comparing it to two years ago in a completely what looks like system and, and offense and defense philosophies and principles, I, I think we have to stop doing that because maybe offensive rebounds aren't that important to Hubert Davis and maybe transition right now, not saying it always won't be, but maybe right now is not that important to Hubert Davis. And so we're judging him based upon the criteria of someone else. Um, again, this is not a defense or whatever you want to call it or us being soft. I just think that is something that we all have to work on is, is to not look at things continually through a Roy Williams lens when it's Hubert Davis in the picture. It's, Helbert, it's helpful to consider that frame rather than the knee-jerk reaction. Uh, and actually, I'll throw one thing out before we get out of here. It's supposed to be, my, I guess, my take of the night. Um, I've seen some folks on social and in my timeline jumping into saying that blaming NIL for this team's uh, issues this year. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can pick and choose and say about why this North Carolina team is is maybe underachieving or not reaching the goals that they have for themselves or that the fan base has for them. But if you're blaming the fact that players are finally able to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness in a small manner as the reason the team is losing, I think that not only are you short-sighted and completely wrong, eh, you're kind of telling on yourself a little bit. So, you know, I, I understand fans are frustrated. I understand people want to see better out of the squad and from a veteran squad, especially after what they showed everybody last April and I mean, last March and April. But to be blaming the kids and saying that they're incapable of of being good basketball players because they're finally getting compensated for it, that seems like a bit of a reach. And I'd challenge everybody to kind of, yeah, maybe get your eyes out of somebody else's pockets. But for Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran, Appreciate everybody being a part of the show tonight. We will obviously be back next week. We will not be at the same time next week. We're actually going to do the show after the conclusion of the Monday night game next week. Uh, so you will not get this in your feed first thing Monday. You will get it later Monday after North Carolina finishes their 7 o'clock tip. Uh, so we'll kind of do a post game and then a regular Coast to Coast for you then. We'll have a little bit more recruiting talk as well. And hopefully we've got some more positivity to discuss rather than two losses from your Tar Heels this past week. But uh, we appreciate everybody being a part of the show. For Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran, shout out to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring. Shout out to young Thomas Moran out there on the West Coast, filling up diapers and spitting all over dad's chest. You go get him, son. Uh, shout out to John Sigley for producing. We'll be back next week on Inside Carolina's Coast to Coast podcast. Talk to you later. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.